Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome and welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're absolutely in the right place. I always say that because it's true because this is where the best run. I have a buzz from HBR, HarvardBusinessReview.org, an article a little bit back in the day, but it's very, very timely. This will set us up for our topic today. Listen up. An experience occurs when a company intentionally uses services as the stage and goods as the props. Aha. Uh-huh to engage individual customers in a way that creates a memorable event. The question then isn't whether, but when and how to enter the emerging experience economy. And that's what we're talking about here today. The topic today is how to transform finance. And we're talking to our loyal listeners all over the world. We know there are thousands, even millions of you. How to transform your finance organization in the experience economy. So I thought it'd be interesting to define what experience is. So let me give you a little more detail before I have my two experts introduce themselves. To be successful in building new digital experiences, and that's what the experience economy it comes down to, your finance organization needs to ensure the viability of your business model transformation. Finance is at the breaking point at the leading edge of the opportunity to help your business stand above your competitors, but they have to move faster than they have in the past by delivering unparalleled experiences to your internal customers and your external customers. Think about that. So how can intelligent innovations, and we talk about innovations in terms of technologies all the time here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers, how can intelligent innovations across financial operational and analytical capabilities support your successful growth and your transformation because you want to be able to predict and act in real time. That's what it all comes down to. So I have two experts. Let me tell you who they are and then we will hear in their own words their background, their credentials and what this topic means to them. So in a minute I'll be welcoming back a gentleman who was on a couple months ago, Usman Ajaz. He's a senior manager in Deloitte Consulting Technology for the SAP practice and we have a newcomer today, David A. Davidson, he told me I didn't have to keep repeating the A, so we'll say David Davidson. He's a, a director at, well, we'll talk about it, what his what his title is right now. He has a lot of credentials. So, Usman, please introduce yourself to everybody and tell us what you've been up to. Hi, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show again. Uh, my name is Usman Ejaz. I'm a senior manager in Deloitte Technology Practice, where I lead SAP S4HANA finance engagements, been in consulting for over 15 years, leading Deloitte's largest global clients through through finance transformations. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. And, and what's your thought, Usman, about the experience economy and finance's relationship to it? You know, in the old days, we think of finance as being a bunch of CPAs with the green eye shades down in the basement with this lamp, with the green cover on the lamp, you know. And we think of them as just being people who move numbers around. They use spreadsheets, of course. They probably used a pencil and paper a lot. And they didn't have much to do with being what we call today a steward of the business. They didn't have much to do with moving the business strategically. So what's your thought about how is finance feeling about being part of running a company in in and helping it operate and succeed in the experience economy? Any thoughts? Yes, absolutely. 
we, you know, like like you said, in old days, finance was always a, a back-end function, something that you would just do at, at a month's end, crunch numbers and, and publish your financials to to the external entities. But, but these days, all these finance functions, they're moving up front, front and center. We, we talk about real-time analytics. We talk about a real-time financial close, which means that the data that the organization collects, the, the financial data, as well as all the other sources of data, it, it needs to be available real-time to the executives who are looking at the business because the decisions cannot wait till the month end, cannot wait till quarter end, cannot wait till year end. It, it has to be real-time. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, you know much more in the in the limelight uh, front and center uh, these days. Thank you very much, Usman. We're going to get a lot more insights from you. And thank you. And a shout out to Carla Neil Slavin at Deloitte as always for helping us get wonderful people like you for our panels. Appreciate it. And shout out to to Carla and to Helen Thomas both. And now let's move around the table to David. I'm going to use the A because David, I never go anywhere without the D. Bonnie D. Graham. And David is a senior managing director within Accenture Strategy. David, you're a newcomer to Game Changers. Please give us the full introduction. Who are you? And what do you do? Yes, so thank you, Bonnie. I appreciate it. And um, as a uh, first-time member of the show, I'm I'm very excited to be part of it. So thanks again for uh, uh, asking me to be part of it. So uh, David Davidson, and as Bonnie mentioned, I'm a Senior Managing Director within Accenture Strategy and currently serve as our global lead for Accenture's platform transformation practice. And what that means is my area of focus is really around finance of the future and and really determining how digital technologies are impacting the office of the CFO and helping to lead some of Accenture's um, largest uh, programs. But I'm also very involved in what we do as far as research and our high-performance research. So I've got uh, just over 28 years of serving clients in a wide range of industries. And my experience, as I said, is primarily around leading large global platforms, um, programs leveraging SAP and Oracle to deliver business transformation and deliver value at pace. Thank you very much. What's your thought about the experience economy? Is this a, a foreign concept, something that's very, what, me? I'm in finance. I, I'm a CPA. I'm an accountant person. I'm, I know where the numbers are, but what do I have to do with giving people good experiences? Do you think that this is something that they're railing against? What do you observe? So a couple of things, but um, maybe I would just focus on one of the things we're seeing in the market is something we call the wise pivot. And the wise pivot is, uh, as we look at companies, we see them first figuring out how do we go digital. And go digital is the way that your customers experience you. Uh, and pretty much, if you haven't already gone digital as a company, you're too late to the game. You may not be, you're probably not around anymore. You're, you're on your last mm. leg. But that's <laughs> going digital. That's the way your customers perceive you. But the wise pivot is to, to look at it and say, okay, how do we become as an organization digital? And that's where I see finance and some of what we have traditionally thought of as back office coming into play. Because to become digital means that once that line crosses over into the organization, the way you perform as an organization is truly digital, requiring digital systems, digital capabilities. And so finance is a leading component of organizations and how they become digital. And only by becoming digital do you really get the experience because what we're starting to see is some of those companies that have gone digital are running now into problems as the line is crossed over internal and they try to process orders and the like in their supply chain, whether it's a financial supply chain or a physical supply chain, that's not truly digital. 
So that's a big piece of it. And we see finance as a leader in the becoming digital aspect. Thank you very much. That, 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 that's along the lines of what I was talking about. Very interesting. We don't normally think of them as, as part of all of these new concepts, these new strategies. Thank you, David. David, you don't have a Twitter handle, do you? Because I want to tweet what you just said about Wise Pivot. I don't have a Twitter handle. I apologize. Oh, my goodness. We have to get you to be part of the Twitter experience economy. There you go. Okay. Usman has one. So this is, this is part of the show where my guests in advance at my humble request have sent me a quote that has nothing to do with the topic, something whimsical or inspirational, poetic, philosophical, from music, from a book, from a song, from a movie, whatever. And then I ask them here on the show live. We are live on on uh, World Talk Radio, Voice America, the Business Channel, I asked them to tell us how, in their own words, the quote relates to our topic. So this is a very serious part where we get to know how they think. So Usman Ejaz at at Deloitte has sent us a quote from, how simple is this? It's wonderful. It's printed on the Starbucks coffee cups, and it promotes the Starbucks rewards program. And here's the quote. I can't wait to hear how this relates, Usman. The quote is, let us add a little joy to your day. Usman, we're talking finance. We're talking financial excellence. We're talking experience economy. I get the joy in the experience economy. You want to pull this all together for me, please? Yeah, yeah. This, uh, you know, let us add a little joy to your day. If you just mention the quote as is, you may not realize which brand this is necessarily associated to. There's no mention of the word coffee in that phrase. And this is, you know, like we said, is used on Starbucks uh, cups. And and if you think about it, wh- why do so many people choose Starbucks? It's not just for the, the coffee. Uh, it is for the, the experience, the the joy that they get, not just drinking the coffee, but, but in going to the store and experiencing the, the store itself. And, and Starbucks has created an entire brand identity around delivering uh, a rewarding experience for the customers. And, and really... I, I believe mastered what we we uh, we call as experience economy because people don't just go to Starbucks for the coffee; they go for the experience. If you compare to some of our, our other brands, you know, Dunkin' uh, Coffee versus Starbucks, it's America runs on Dunkin' for Dunkin' versus this this third place concept. One, you have a home, you have an office, and you have a a third place for Starbucks. So, so I believe, you know, that that's how this uh, all, all ties together uh, with that uh, with that easy quote on Starbucks cups. Thank you very much. I love the quote. And it's sitting there staring at many of us all the time. Never thought to bring it onto the show. Thank you, Usman. It was very clever. David A. Davidson at Accenture Strategy is bringing us a quote very, very well known. It's called The Pace of Change paradox. It has been quoted by recently former SAP CEO uh, Bill McDermott. I think at Davos and uh, Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, has used it. This is an interesting quote. There's a whole background on where it comes from, but we our research shows it comes from originally Graham Wood. He spells his first name G-R-A-E-M-E, Graham Charles Arthur Wood, Canadian-American journalist who's written for The New Yorker, The American Scholar, The New Republic, Bloom, he's busy, Bloomsburg Business Week, Culture and Travel, The Wall Street Journal, the International Herald Tribune, and he's also in his spare time a contributing editor to The Atlantic. Here's the quote. I think many of you have heard it, and, and David is going to relate it to the topic. The pace of change has never been this fast, and it will never be this slow again. David, 
Sounds perfect to me. Tell me how this relates to our topic, please. Yeah, so Bonnie, um, as I thought about coming up with a quote, that one's the one that just resonated uh, for me, and I often use it when I talk to clients and CFOs about why um, change, the digital transformation, some of the things we're seeing with intelligent innovation, and even the experience economy, how it relates to them. You know, if you look back to the year 2000, um, and we were to look at the Fortune 500, and think about the companies that made up the Fortune 500 in the year 2000, and you were to look at that same list today, you'd recognize that over 50% of those companies are gone. And there's a reason for that. And it's all tied to this, this idea behind this quote, which is the pace of change and the ability to keep up with the change that is happening. At that time, in the year 2000, most companies believed that they would be around for about 75 years. That was the average life expectancy. Now those numbers are less than 15 years for the life expectancy. So for us as companies to remain relevant, we must continue to change, and we must recognize that change is a constant, and it's only picking up pace. So tying that back to the, where we started this conversation, or where I started it around this wise pivot, it just speaks to the fact that as CFOs and as finance organizations, we must not only be part of this change, we must be helping to lead this wise, wise pivot. And I think that's a critical component that as we as finance professionals step into that and recognize the value we can bring as value architects to the business and how we need to be partnering with the business. So for me, it kind of summarized the feel for this whole idea of um, you know, the experience economy and where we as finance professionals need to play. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I'm glad to have that back. And isn't that true so much, David and Usman, and what each of us has seen in our lifetimes in terms of just technology as we as consumers, as private citizens? Isn't this true, David, that it's just it's happening so fast? If you think back 10 years, 20 years, and imagine what's happening in business at the same time, how fast it's going. David, what do you think? This is our life now, a story of our life, right? Well, I think it is, and I think the exciting thing about that is um, just recognizing it, it, the, the fact that if it is moving that fast and we see where things are today, just imagine the possibilities for the future and knowing that that pace of change is, is changing. I think that, um, you know, as, an, as a life learner, um, this is incredibly exciting to me because this means that there are so many opportunities to learn and continue to grow and develop as an individual, not just in the business world, but as an individual as well, because things are changing so fast. And it's up to us as individuals to make sure we remain relevant, both in the business world, but also in our personal lives as well. Thank you very much. Usman, any reflections on that about how fast things are moving and it's it's never going to be this slow? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have, uh, I have two, two young kids. And the, the, the amount of change I can see just through that lens. I mean, they're 12, 8, 8, and 4. And there are things that, that you know, things, businesses, you know, songs, movies, uh, just other experiences that they tell me about, which, you know, even in the last four years, I honestly wasn't aware of. So, you know, I agree with what David is saying. I mean, to, for us to stay relevant in our personal lives and to for businesses also, uh, with the pace of change that we're seeing, it requires, you know, it requires uh, a lot more effort and flexibility in in our uh, in our approach to to keep adaptive and and stay relevant. Thank you very much, both of you. 
Now, I want to get to know each of you a little bit better. I want to give our listeners that opportunity. So, Usman, I'm going to ask you two personal questions, but they're not too personal. They're just one and two. I always explain this when you're on the show. Number one, where in the world are you calling from today? We don't need to know a street address or the door number on your office, but we'd like to know what part of the world. And the second question is, what's your favorite drink that powers you, that makes you feel wonderful and or relaxed or energized? Usman, talk to me. Yes. So today I am actually at home in uh, Southern California, Irvine, California. But I, you know, of course, with Deloitte, I, I do travel a lot and just came back from a two-week visit to, to Tokyo, Japan. Mm. Okay. And what's your favorite drink? Part, yep. Yes. So that depends on the time of the day. My favorite beverage in the morning <laughs> is just black coffee, no milk, no sugar, one cup that gets me going. And in fact, I'm uh, craving for it right now as we speak. And then <laughs> I, I run a lot. So during my day, during the, the whole day, my favorite beverage is honestly just water because I'm always, always dehydrated uh, for water due to my, my runs in the morning. Very wonderful. That's one of the best beverages in the world, right? That's one of the original favorites. Thank you very much, Usman. David, where are you today? And what do you love to drink any time of the day or night? And it's okay, even though it's only 1220 p.m. here on the east coast of the U.S. It can be any kind of beverage, so don't be shy. Go ahead, David. (laughs) All right. So um, I'm actually uh, calling in from Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, uh, which happens to be home base for me. And um, you know, as as Uzban mentioned, uh, we travel a lot as consultants. I'm actually heading out after we finish this call to the uh, Atlanta Hartsfield Airport to head up to uh, Milwaukee for a series of meetings, and uh, and from there I think I'm going to Chicago. So uh, won't necessarily get to spend a lot of time here, but this is home base when I'm here. Um, as far as my favorite drink, um, so I thought about that, um, mm-hmm. and I would say so. I don't drink alcohol. But uh, although I don't drink alcohol, I am a heavy consumer of caffeine. They're, those two things may be related. Um, and I've recently, um, I've recently discovered Starbucks cold brew nitro. Uh, and although I have to admit, I, it, the taste is not fantastic. There's just something about the drink that continues to draw me back. I, there's something about it. I, I think I'm convinced they've somehow laced it with some type of addictive substance that just keep co- people coming back. Um, because I can't quite explain my irrational attraction for the drink, but I drive past the Starbucks and I can't help but turn in. So, so I don't know what's going on there, but uh, kudos to Starbucks for that. Interesting. Well, I'm going to read you a little definition here. The difference between a nitro brew and a cold brew is the texture. Imagine that. While both of these iced options are subtle and sweet in flavor, a nitrogen cold brew delivers a super smooth, rich body with a foamy top similar to your, oh, here we go, similar to your favorite draft beer. David, there you go. Ah, so you're getting the the connection. I did. I did. I just happened to Google the right thing. I like it. And you described an experience. So it fits into our discussion perfectly. It was I absolutely did. Right? And you're talking about Starbucks, and Usman said, sent, sent us the quote from the cup, let us add a little joy to your day. So we've certainly wrapped this one up in a bow. Just so the two of you know, I'm here based now in Durham, North Carolina. It's a beautiful day, but I am shocked that here in the South, we actually have already gotten down to 32 degrees Fahrenheit in the overnight hours. And I just recently uh, built a small greenhouse. It actually is, is six and a half feet tall on 
on the screened porch in back of my house, attached to the house. And of course, it's cold out there at night. So I have a little heater in the greenhouse to keep my plants warm. But when the sun comes up in the morning, the temperature in the greenhouse has a wonderful plastic, you can see through it, a plastic cover that has the peaked roof and then it comes down the side, zips down the front, and it overlaps on the bottom so that it does almost seal it. The temperature goes up to over 100 degrees in that greenhouse during the day. So I have to turn the heater off in the morning to allow the sun to heat up and the moisture just stays inside the plants. I've got three orchids and seven more ready to bloom on one stem. So it's just lovely. So anyway, in order to do this, I can, I'm, I'm joking, I can't have any caffeine. David Usman knows that. I'm not allowed to have caffeine on radio show day. So you can have all the nitro cold brews you want because I have two radio shows an hour apart here on Tuesday mornings and I wouldn't be, you know, I don't need the caffeine, but it wouldn't be fair to my listeners if I was caffeinated. So I'm just having a cool, clear glass of water here with my light lavender silicone straw. I gave up plastic straws because of the environment, doing my little tiny part to keep the oceans healthy. So here we are talking about how to transform finance and the experience economy. We have discussed and defined what the experience economy is, what companies' role is in that economy, how they have to get on board. And when we come back after our break in just about 90 seconds after I say out, we are going to do a deep dive with Usman Ajaz at Deloitte Consulting's Technology SAP Practice and with David A. Davidson, Senior Managing Director within Accenture Strategy. And he's also the global lead for Accenture's platform transformation practice, which is why he travels so much. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're going to take a 90-second break. And all I'm going to say is, Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. And here we are. We're back with two very special guests. We have Usman Ajaz at Deloitte, and we have David A. Davidson at Accenture Strategy. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're talking about how to transform your finance organization. We're talking Department of the CFO in today's experience economy. And that experience economy is not going away anytime soon. So you got to get on board. I'm going to start with a statement that Usman Ajaz sent me in advance of the show. And then we're going to have him talk about it, expand it, explain it. And then we'll invite David to chime in. And then I'll pick a statement from David's list and we'll go back and forth. This is a true roundtable. So Usman Ajaz at Deloitte helped me the following. Over the past few decades, The experience economy has become the norm and an expectation. All companies are expected to deliver a superb experience to the customers beyond just the product or the service they are offering. Usman, talk to me. Tell me more, please. Yeah, Bonnie. In in today's economy, it's not only just the the leading-edge companies who are expected to to deliver a, a tremendous customer experience. Virtually all companies are expected to deliver really a, a positively charged experience to their customers. And our expectation of, as, as consumers, of what a positive, what denotes a positive experience has also, has also evolved over time. It's, it's always on, it's, it's digital with social media, with mobile, with text. And we have changed our behaviors and the expectations as, as consumers. So we desire experiences. And more and more businesses are, are responding to this by explicitly designing and, and promoting experiences. Because complete companies, I believe, cannot just, cannot just sell their traditional products anymore. They, they have to wrap an experience around it. As an example, you could think of a car as just getting from a point A to point B. Uh, BMW is also a car company, but they think of driving the BMW as an experience. They call it the the ultimate driving machine. And for you know, for the finance arm of a company, for a healthy company, they must know that consumers are are willing to pay a premium on an experience because the the price point for an experience is is less a function of the cost of the goods. Uh, it's more the the value to the buyer that the buyer attaches to to remembering that experience. Thank you, David. Join us. What do you think? Agree or disagree? And do you have any examples? Yeah. So I, I guess when I think about it, I I actually think of the experience economy a bit of an evolution of the service economy, and I, I think uh, Usman somewhat highlighted that in the example that he gave. Um, in that, you know, with the um, experience economy, it's about the services. It's about the wrapper you put around the product that's being provided. And what we're seeing is not so maybe so much that every uh, every company is having to provide exceptional service, but there is an expectation of an experience. And mm-hmm. then what we're starting to see a little bit more now is. Um, a delineation of the, the service or the experience level. And I think this is where the key is going to be for the future for a lot of these companies so that they can provide everything from a white glove service where it's somewhat hands-off everything you could ever imagine in the experience, and you're going to pay a premium for that. But then you have gradients of that experience 
level that different customers may be willing to pay at different levels. I think that's going to be the critical next step um, in the, in this particular economy as uh, as companies start to try to figure out how do I dial that up or back and what's mm-hmm. the value that a customer will put against it. The example I'd give you is I, I work a lot with um, one of the major airlines, and I was talking to the CFO of that major airline, and they do something around their net promoter score, uh, NPS. That's one of their biggest factors. But what they're realizing is it, it's become an all or nothing for them with their net promoter score, and what they're trying to tease out is incremental percentage points of that net promoter score, what's really the value? And is it worth going after taking us from 97 to 98? Or is it actually not going to create the value at all? And I think that's where things like analytics and social data are really going to come into play to help inform companies of the value of those incremental differences in experiences. Thank you very much. Usman, anything else you want to add to that before I move on to a statement from David's list? What do you think? Yeah, I think we can uh, move on to statement from okay. David. Thank you. David, let's look at what's happening in the finance functions because we've talked extensively about the experience economy. And, and before we end the show, I think I'll ask each of you how you've personally seen experience economy change your perception of a company's product or service. Maybe a little personal anecdote. We've already talked about your Starbucks experience and we've talked about the, the foam equating to draft beer, David, but uh, maybe we could just share a little personal story so you can think about that. David told me the following. He says, the finance function is evolving and its role within the broader enterprise is changing. And now he's going to talk about Accenture Research, describes four unique generations of the finance function. David, you want to give us a little history here, please? Yeah, so let me, let me try to encapsulate this. So um, yeah. we've been doing research around high-performance finance for about 15 years. Um, we've just finished our sixth iteration of that finance research, and I would say we've seen the most profound shift in the responses uh, and what we're seeing happening in the finance uh, function and capabilities than we've ever seen before in in this latest round. Um, And that's largely been impacted um, by what we're talking about today, which is the experience economy, digital, and everything we're seeing around the implications of uh, technology and innovation. What we're seeing in finance is that we've been tracking the evolution of the different generations of finance. So simply put, First-generation finance is around finance and accounting services. Uh, You have a company, somebody's got to watch the books and make sure nobody goes to jail. Once that was established, then the second generation emerged somewhat quickly after that, which was around business support. Finance professionals said, we can do more than just keep the books. We can actually help the business. We can provide support. So that was second-generation business support. Third generation is where many organizations today are trying to evolve to, which is around becoming a business partner, truly having a seat at the table um, as transactions within the organization are being performed. But what we're starting to see, interestingly, is a fourth generation of finance evolving, and we're calling that the enablement of business strategy. Simply put, what finance organizations are evolving to do is they're not defining business strategy, but they are becoming critical to the enablement of that business strategy. So that's um, the idea of how finance is evolving. I think that's that next step we're starting to see finance organizations trying to step into is this enablement of business strategy. Thank you very much. Usman, you want to join us? Comments? 
Yeah, I I think I I, I agree with that. The, the 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 time where basic transactional finance is what took most of the time for for the finance organizations are gone. I mean, do all of those things are expected to be to be automated through uh, through continuous processing. And it's really the the value add in in embedded analytics or um, or, or driving decision making is what the the finance organization uh, needs to spend the most time on, and that's where most of the companies are headed with, with the solutions that that we deploy. Uh, a lot of things that ten years ago required a big big finance organization to deal with all the you know the paper invoices and, and transactions that they had to process. All of that is now done done automatically. Um, even the even the the things where you're trying to keep yourself out of jail in in making sure that finance is is accurate, uh, that also is done through automated exception based based auditing. And um, and I think so. So the the evolution of the finance organization has you know has led to a stage where uh, where it's much more value add with few resources focused on decision making than a huge army uh, just 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 uh, keeping up with the the actual annual work thank you i have a question for for david first in the newsman is and i described earlier in the show that finance hasn't always been quick to run into the face or into the throng of new technology trends and emerging opportunities to digitalize, to transform. They've been known as the laggards. We can say that fairly. So is is finance now yelling and kicking and screaming and saying, no, no, you tell us we have to evolve, but we really don't want to. Or are they saying, yes, bring it on. We want to bring in more young people into We want to bring millennials into the fold. We want to get more excitement about being in the finance function. David, are you seeing this reluctance? Are you seeing this, let's run into the fire and let's dive into the deep end of the pool and it's time to really evolve? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a great question, Bonnie. Um, and I'll, I'll just tie it back to the research that, that I mentioned earlier that we've just completed because that research told us there were three evolving trends that we were seeing in the market around finance. Uh, one was around digitizing finance and figuring out how do we harness the power of data. Two was around reimagining the evolution of talent. But the third one was the one that was the most intriguing. The third one is that finance professionals and specifically CFOs are becoming the guide for the enterprise through new agile ways of working. And they're actually stepping into lead transformation across the enterprise, not just in finance, but actually across the enterprise. And I'm actually seeing that in my own work as I'm working with businesses. I'm often working kind of from two different angles. One where I'm working with CFOs and the CFO is literally serving as the chief transformation officer to help drive or where the CFO is standing beside the chief transformation officer and really looking at it through the lens of the value architect. How do we ensure that this transformation drives the business value that we are seeking to achieve? So it's been an interesting switch. And I, I think the days of finance in the back office or CFOs in the back room are gone. And now what we're seeing is CFOs step to the forefront and actually the next step in that is that we are seeing CFOs more and more frequently step from the office of the CFO to become the CEO. You know, Accenture is a great example. Our CFO became our CEO 
um, when our CEO um, unfortunately left, um, but and he immediately stepped in. And one of the reasons they selected our CFO um, to be the C- CEO is because he was the closest to the business. He understood how it worked. Um, so I think we're seeing this more and more, and I think this is going to become the norm. Thank you very much. Usman, thoughts about this? What about how is how is finance taking this news that they really have to evolve quickly? What do you think? Yeah, I think I'll answer this also with a with a survey that, that we mm-hmm. do at, at Deloitte every year with the CFO. So when we ask the finance executives what they see uh, in their in their future success, what does their future success depends on? And the question is, over the next five years, my company's success will increasingly depend on. We have 85% of CFOs that we survey saying that adapting to the rapid change and greater business complexity is is a must for my company's success. 77% saying instantaneous access to a unified, comprehensive, and fully uh, fully up-to-date set of financial and performance data is, is mandatory. Uh, 75% saying making effective use of big data is required. So we, we believe that businesses realize the value certainly at the top CFO level and they're very receptive to, uh, to finance trans- finance-led transformations which allow them to have uh, instantaneous access to data for swift decision-making. Thank you very much. I love that both of you brought surveys to the show. It's it's important for people to know that this is research that was done appropriately and properly and is recent and has numbers. Everybody loves numbers, right? We all know that. You hear a number, it sticks in your head, and you want to know more. So thank you both for that. I'm going back to Usman's list of topics he sent me before the show, and here's something interesting. We're going to go bounce back to the concept of what customers want in the experience economy. So he writes, to drive better and more personalized experiences, brands need to get data from the customers themselves. Why don't you talk about some research uh, from Qualtrics, uh, and there's a Gartner CMO spin survey. Usman, you want to give us some more numbers, please? Love to hear them. Yes, yes. We talked about the, the experience economy. We talked about companies leaning more towards giving customers personalized experiences. And one of the things you have to think about is, well, you can give, you can try giving a customer an experience, but how are you going to measure that experience to, to make sure that you're delivering the right experience and you can continue to evolve and deliver even better? And, and that's where, you know, as an example, SAP recently acquired a company called Qualtrics, which is a, a web-based survey tool uh, and has a lot of other features for $8 billion. And it is a pretty large acquisition, primarily because even SAP, uh, as a as a giant, as an ERP giant, recognizes the the value of being able to to deliver a customer experience survey tool, which their clients can integrate into the SAP platform and allow the the, the customers, SAP's customers, to to query their uh, their end users and figure out whether the the experience that they're delivering to the customers is is matching their expectations. And I, I believe that that that's very important for for all the reasons that we discussed. Why you know for companies to be able to charge a premium and survive in in today's economy, they have to not only deliver an experience but be able to to measure it. 
Thank you very much. Let's bounce this over to David. David, agree, disagree? Any thoughts on what Usman just shared? Yeah, so um, so it's an interesting idea, uh, this experience economy, and I, I liken it um, to storytelling. And here's why I say that. Um, the experience, I think, for the, for the individual starts to connect together different things. We talked about numbers uh, earlier, but the reality is on numbers, when we're trying to convince someone or communicate information to folks, if we just give them a bunch of facts, they're going to remember, you know, five to 10%. That's the way the human brain works. If we show them a pretty picture and draw a graphic and put the numbers on the graphic, maybe they'll remember 25%. But if we tie it to a story, suddenly the human brain is able to keep up with about 75%. And I believe this is directly connected to exactly what we're talking about, which is you know, we as finance professionals ultimately need to tell stories. We need to be able to communicate mm-hmm. the facts and figures, the data to the business to help make sure they understand how value is going to be either created or destroyed in everything we're doing. And for me, this is exactly where it ties into the experience because experience is a lot like a story, right? It's what you remember. It connects all the parts of the, the brain and, and the human experience with the product. So I think there's a direct connection. Maybe there's some good research we could do coming off the other side of this to connect those two things together. But I absolutely believe there's the connection there and that we as finance professionals, a big part of it for us is bringing that story to life to bring the experience Mm -hmm. to life for our customers. Thank you very much. David, I'm looking at your notes here. Let's see. Um, I talked about bringing other newer people into the finance. Let's talk about that a little bit. You say within finance, we're seeing the need for new skills and capabilities as traditional finance roles are changing. As accounting activities are automated, that's part of digitization or digitalization, and replaced with emerging technologies like RPA, robotic process automation, and, and ML, machine learning, finance professionals are taking new roles as RPA managers, scenario modelers, and finance data scientists. Ooh, David, this is exciting. Tell us what's an RPA manager, what's a scenario modeler, I like that one, and what's a finance data scientist? I think our listeners would really like to know what jobs are coming up. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think there's been a lot of research done uh, recently about the the changing pace of roles and jobs and how there are, you know, the number of new jobs that will be created in the future is significantly increasing. In the finance world, what we've seen and what the research is telling us is that fundamentally we do eight things today. We plan, transact, account, control, comply, report, analyze, and advise. And it doesn't matter if you're a tax professional uh, or if you're in treasury or if you're in compliance. Um, Those are the eight things we do. The reality is, some of the things that Usman's talked about, we've talked about on this call about, you know, digitization, automation are going to impact five of those things to an extent where largely they'll be automated away. And those are transact, account, control, comply, and report, which means that we're left with planning, analyzing, and advising. That's going to have a profound impact on the role of the finance professional and the work that we do. And so things like finance professionals as accountants will change because no longer are they going to be responsible for a lot of the activities you traditionally think of finance accountants doing? But they're going to be, those activities are going to be automated and they're going to use RPA, machine learning, and the like. But the reality is someone's got to design those um, Mm -hmm. RPAs, you know, and that's going to be the accountants. And so that's why I say 
accountants that have traditionally performed those activities are actually going to become RPA managers. As we automate a lot of those activities, their roles are going to shift to being managing the machine. And so this whole idea of human and machine is going to become the new way of thinking, that it's not human or machine, but rather we're going to embrace the fact that things like um, robotics are going to come into play. And we as finance professionals are going to be the ones that design, that sometimes build, monitor, report off, exception-based off of those activities. So that's what I mean when I say that you know, accountants are going to become RPA managers. Budget analysts are going to become modelers because no longer are we going to be reviewing stale, old, static budgets of the past. And we're going to move away from the, what was our budget last year at 10%, and that's our new budget. We're going to move to a, a, a zero-based kind of starting point, and then we'll model based on what we're trying to accomplish with the business, what are the opportunities. So that's what I mean when I say we're going to move from accountants to RPA managers and budget analysts to, to model, modelers in the future. I love that. I, I would love to – can you imagine a kid coming out of school, a young person coming out of college with a degree in finance, David, and and uh, mm-hmm. the parents, or they go go home for the holidays. They get their first job, and they're home for the holiday. Let's say they move to another city or another country, and they come home and say, what are you doing for a living? Well, I'm a scenario modeler in the finance department <laughs> of a big enterprise, or I'm an RPA manager, or I'm a – Data scientist. Can you imagine the cloud? I'm not kidding. What do you think, David? There's a lot of cloud in a title like that, isn't it? It's exciting. Well, I, I think it's very exciting. And what's, what was maybe the most interesting part of the research that we did was you mentioned those crazy millennials. Um, and we actually interviewed <laughs> Wait a minute. Who are you calling crazy? Go, go, okay. I, I got a bunch <laughs> of them at home. I got a bunch of them at home. So I love them. But I, I don't think like them. That, that's just the bottom line, right? They think in a different way. They, they live the world through a different paradigm. But we interviewed about 250 of those millennials, and then the, the most profound uh, message that they gave to us was there has never been a more exciting time to become a finance professional, which to me just seemed counterintuitive in the world in which they've grown up and the way we think of finance. But it is because they see the opportunity. They see the opportunity to transform and change, and they want to be part of that. Remember, these are people that like to, they like change, they like, they want to have a purpose, and they want to make an impact, and they see the opportunity to make the largest impact in the organization through the lens of finance. So to me, that is very exciting, and it's, I think it colors the world of finance of the future much differently, not just for them, but I think for us as well, people that have been part of this Uh, finance world for years. There you go. Thank you very much. A lot of optimism. I hear some excitement in your voice. Usman Ajaz at Deloitte. Agree or disagree? What are you seeing in terms of new job roles, new titles? What are you observing from the Deloitte vantage point? Yeah, I'll give you another uh, job role for finance that we we, we refer to as a storyteller. And and I'll come back to that in a second. We also believe that the headcount in traditional finance will be reduced by 70 to 90% as we have these redesigned processes enabled by, by blockchain, uh, RPA, which automates away much of the, the routine processing work. So, you know, something like a finance nerve center would emerge to monitor the finance factory, identify business insights that support decision-making. But this term storyteller, uh, so the explosion of the availability of data will, will create a, a need for a storyteller 
a finance storyteller to sift through this data and transform that into, into actionable insight. And the need for these soft skills, we believe, will accelerate faster than the talent that's actually in the marketplace. So anyone that is in finance right now, you know, they, they shouldn't worry about the, the, the reduced need for, for traditional finance but instead should focus on these new roles that are emerging with these, uh, with the rapid change and the new opportunities. Thank you very much. Very interesting for the two of you. I will tell you, uh, breaking news, it's now 12.51 p.m., and we have exactly six minutes left to the show. So I would like to invite each of you. We'll start with Usman Ajaz at Deloitte Consulting. Usman, why don't you give us your prediction, but instead of the usual 60 seconds, I'm going to give you a whole two minutes to play with in terms of a prediction. What will change about the transformation of finance as an organization, as a place where people want to go and work because it's exciting and the job titles are changing and the roles are changing and new technology is everywhere and the concept of finance being a leader in the experience economy. So what do you predict between now and let's say 2025? And David A. Davidson at Accenture, I'm teeing you up to be next. So you can have two minutes as well. Usman, ready? for your predictions. Go ahead. It's crystal ball time. Yeah, Bonnie, I'll go back to the, the experience economy discussion that we had. So today, many companies, you know, have embraced the, the, the concept of offering customer experiences and customers are also used to receiving these quality experiences. And, and I, I, I see while there may still be a market for commodity products, pure services or products, which you just go in, you know, buy, pay, and, and get out. Uh, we'll see more and more companies who will, who must differentiate themselves from their competitors, and and stiff competition by by offering an experience which 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 creates a unique bond between the the companies offering its brand and and its customers. Um, so that would be my my prediction that even though this would increase, you'll see more of that. I believe there's still a market for the traditional, um, uh, you know, traditional commodity product or service that you don't really need an experience for, or there will be a segment of the market that uh, does not need is not willing to pay the premium uh, for that experience. Thank you very much. Very interesting. David A. Davidson, Accenture, you're up. Two minutes. Talk to me. What do you predict? So here's my prediction. Um, I would say that what we think of today as the finance function will not exist. Uh, Hmm. And what I mean by that, so I'm being a bit provocative, to be fair, but um, bear with me on this. Um, Here's the way I see it. If you think of what we've laid out here today and the automation of many of these activities that we perform the evolution of the skills and the need for different skill sets around planning, analyzing, advising, storytelling, um, enabling business strategy. The way we traditionally think of the finance function is you count belly buttons and you can, if I talk to any finance organization and I ask how many people do you have in finance, they'll count those belly buttons and they'll say that's our finance function. I think in the future, because of the way that we are are automating and and the role is changing and we're going to focus more on planning, analyzing, advising, finance will not be a function. It will become a capability. And it will be a capability that will be distributed throughout the organization and not just finance people will be performing that capability, 
And so the role of finance will change. Role, the finance will become more of a control tower and managing through exception. But it will exist as a capability to be managed and not a function. So I think that's probably where I would leave us as far as a prediction, is that the traditional way we thought about finance is going to change pretty dramatically. We need to start thinking in terms of capability, not the traditional model of function. Thank you very much. A lot of interesting predictions here. Thank you both. Let me, before we go, I have about ooh, two minutes, but I need 90 seconds to close the show. Uh, any particular brand experience you've had that really delighted you as a customer where you felt it was understanding your part of the experience economy? Usman, anything you want to add? Yeah, I just, I guess I go back to, to Apple. I had a chance to visit the Apple store again just last week and I was just amazed at the, the number of people there. It was a pretty large store and there was hardly a place to, to stand. It's almost like a, a fish market giving away fish for free. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I think, you know, Apple has really nailed this one down. They stopped calling their Apple stores stores. They just call them, you know, Apple Wine Spectrum, Apple Valley Fair really to, uh, you know, allow people to have a place to to come out and and hang together. Very cool. I agree. I love the Apple Store experience. David, quickly, any experiences? Well, you have 60 seconds. Go ahead. A great experience. Yeah, I'll try to do it in in 60 seconds. So we're approaching Thanksgiving in the U.S., and I know last year at Thanksgiving we were sitting around the dinner table and we were talking about preparing for Christmas and getting presents. I couldn't find something for my sister and what she wanted was an Amazon um, Echo. And so I said, I'd look, they're sold out. I can't find one anywhere. And my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter said, well, why don't you ask our Amazon if she can get an Amazon for my sister? So I jokingly said, um, you know, you know could, can, can I get a, um, can I get an Echo uh, for, you know, Alexa, can you get me an Echo for my sister? And literally Amazon responded, the Echo responded and said, yes, we can have it delivered to your house by 8 p.m. this evening. Get out. Would you like me to order it? Oh, so I said, yes, I'll, I'll take the bait. Uh, I'll, yep. Yes, I want one. And so Alexa said, okay, your order is being processed. Literally that evening, and it was probably a little late. It was probably about 8.30 p.m. A, yep. a paper bag showed up on my doorstep, and it had the Echo in it. And so that's what we gave to my sister for Christmas. Wow. That that, was an that's the experience that economy. Beautiful, exactly. beautiful. I got to go. End of show. Thank you so much. I loved your stories, both of you. Thank you for allowing me to interject some spontaneity here, although the whole show is spontaneous. I want to do a shout out to Melanie Mackall, Diana Heim at SAP, Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, who all sponsored this series. This is the eighth season, and I know they're coming back next year. Carla Neil Slavin and Helen Thomas at Deloitte, thank you so much. And let's end the show. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Usman Ajaz at Deloitte. And just like David A. Davidson at Accenture. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll see you tomorrow morning. You're on the Business Channel, 11 a.m. Eastern, with my new show, Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. And the topic is, is your home smart home spying on you? And is it okay? See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple, To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.